I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 93. I wanted to thank everybody for listening to last week's mini-sode about Citizen Kane. We are on our way. We're almost there. Uh, Next week, we will be talking about Josh's second favorite film of all time. But in the meantime, there's a couple of uh, announcements. The first is that Josh recently wrote an article that is posted on MoreThanOneLesson.com, and it is about a film called My Son, which, uh, if you've heard about it uh, at all, you might know that it is a Christian film that is rated R, which is uh, controversial in the Christian community, uh, much to my surprise. I thought, it, when I had heard about it, I thought they were kind of trumpeting it, like, hey, look, we're embracing gritty reality. Uh, no, they are not saying that. They are saying other things. But uh, you can read Josh's article, because uh, not only does he talk about the film, but he also talks about the phenomenon of an R-rated Christian film. Uh, And then that was actually reblogged over at Wired for Film. And so if you found us through that, uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. I wanted to also let everyone know that I was recently on a podcast called The Televerse, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Kate Kulzik over there, somebody that I've known for a number of years, and just just a really nice person who I've been on there I think this is my third time being on the Televerse. Josh, you were on there once. I sure was. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hey, everyone. You were on there once. I was on there once. What did you talk about? We talked about Get Smart. Get Smart. One of my favorite shows of all time. Absolutely. Love detectives, love comedy. They brought the two of them together, and that was my show. That was my jam. Oh. hmm. Yeah. I I do not like that. I wish I hadn't said that, don't you? But, uh, yeah, and then I'm on talking about the animated series, The Tick. That I grew up on, and it was a it's a fun discussion of a delightful show, not unlike your Get Smart, mm. which was a detective show that was a comedy, which at the time I think was probably pretty novel. I think. Yeah. I guess uh, it was a secret agent, not really a detective. Okay, so for, even, even more so. My mistake. Even more so. Yeah. Um, and the tick, I remember at the time, it just threw me because though I was there was plenty of you know funny animated shows and i was not unfamiliar with the concept of uh of of parody and satire but there was something about like you know i was watching batman the animated series i was watching the x-men animated series then the tick comes along and you know i had seen space balls and that sort of thing the idea of parodying one film or one story that i understood the idea of parodying an entire genre of thing like superheroes the entire superhero genre is on display mm-hmm. in the tick and it it threw me i was just like this seems funny but I, 
what's going on? I didn't quite get it. And then fine. And then uh, thankfully second episode was like, Oh, I, th- I think I got it here. Uh, but yeah, so it was a good episode of, uh, the televerse. So you can find that I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I also wanted to thank everybody. The voting for the podcast awards has finished. We will not know if we, <laughs> sorry, hang on. We will find out that we lost in January. And then we will let you guys know that, Hey, we, we gave it the old college try. <laughs> Um, but we do appreciate everybody's voting. We appreciate the, uh, continued support for the show. And, uh, Hey, you know what? If we won it, prove me wrong. Karma. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was, uh, not, I took myself by surprise by that joke. You're challenging karma now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just, I feel like I want to embrace every other belief system. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I feel hmm. like I want to take the show in a new direction. Okay. So. Uh, I feel like I might have a little bit of a problem with that. Well, it's not your show. Yeah, I guess it's not. So. All right. Um, problem solved. Maybe you should get somebody else on. Maybe You know what you could do is every week you could have someone from a new religion. That sounds great. And you kind of like mix it up. That sounds great. And you could pick the movie based on their religion. Well, see, here's what I'm going to do. It okay. will still, the format will still be the same, finding Christian themes in, in oh, okay. film. But it's like, but how does the, how will this Buddhist guy, how will he, you know, how will he find, how Christian? will he find Christian themes hmm. in this film? <laughs> I feel it, like, I feel like this podcast is going to turn into a lot of arguments. Yes, uh, that's fine. You know, uh, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. That's what they say <laughs> on the news. You can just call it more than one argument. There will be, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, very much. You know, I feel like we're about to have one right now. You're sure. fired. Either you turn... I refuse that. <laughs> you refuse your firing? Yes. I like your moxie. You're rehired. I, I still I turn pay. in my resignation. <laughs> oh, man. It's like a Monty Python sketch. I told you once. Um, anyway, enough of that. Sorry, everybody. Okay. No, I'm not sorry. Okay, you you're done with this. Character. I'm all I'm all about this argument. Let's do it. No, let's not do it. I can even argue with myself. See, uh, rabbit season, <laughs> duck season. Okay, we got we yeah, got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> much as I, I don't lo- have as much as I would love to carry that through to the conclusion <laughs> we all know, and then maybe I would edit in a gunshot. <laughs> um, oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Okay, uh, so enough laughs. We're talking about some serious movies today. Serious. Uh, and this actually hit me kind of last minute. Um, as will often happen, there's, there are some movies that I've been planning on talking about for months. And then at the very last minute, it's like, oh, you know what? These two go together and they've been on my mind. We're, t- we're talking about that today. And so that's, uh, that's the situation here. Josh watched the, uh, the, the head film. What do we call it? We, talk, we say the companion film. What do we call the the main one? The main movie? The lead film? The lead film. I thought about that, yeah. The uh, the important film? The primary film? The cur- the more current primary, film? Primary, yeah. Primary sounds good. Primary is Primary works. through the door. Let's do that. Okay. So the primary film today was directed by uh, Andrew... Super Tuesday. What was that? Never mind. Huh? What's that? <laughs> oh, I got it. <sighs> okay. You're welcome, everyone. Five podcast award nominations. Yeah, and counting. And oh, it's gonna. <laughs> it would appear that all we get, all we need to get a podcast award nomination is to want one. And uh, mission accomplished. I want one. 
Do you want one? Sure. I got good news for you. We got you, one. You got one. So um, I want six. How long have you been on the show as far as podcast awards? Three? I think so. Okay. All right. So I've got five nominations. Actually, I've I got like six because BP was nominated one year. I feel like I'm going to catch up. I think so. I might take a couple of years off and then it's all <laughs> on you. I hope you guys like Gilligan's Island. <laughs> um, okay. So, all right. Uh, we will be talking about a film that came out last year. It was one of my favorite movies of last year. It was directed by, written and directed by Andrew Dominic. It's called Killing Them Softly. It's based on a novel by George V. Higgins. I've never read the novel, but I know a lot of people that love uh, his works. No, I'm not going to let you it's say on the song. no, no. <laughs> Push by Sapphire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> based on the song, Push by Sapphire. Oh, man. Okay. She's the one that's... I'm not, I can't continue down that line. Um, all right. So killing them softly is a film that took me by surprise. I, as much as I, Andrew Dominic made a film called, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. It's a beautiful movie. There's a lot of stuff that I absolutely love. I think the score is great. Oh, I did an episode about it. Just go back and listen to that. Um, I think it's amazing. (laughs) About the score. Not starring Robert De Niro. Not the movie, the score. (laughs) Uh, we're feeling silly, everybody. I I guess so. Um, but yeah, so it's a wonderful film. And before that, he made a film called Chopper. Have you ever seen Chopper? I have not. Featuring Eric Bana in a career, I would say career changing performance. That's the movie that got him, that made him a, I don't know if I'd say he's a movie star, but it gave him a, ho- a legit Hollywood career. Does he play Chopper, the helicopter pilot? That that was so successful that they started calling. They named those after yeah, him, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, why else would they call him Choppers? Yeah. I can't think of one. No. No, he played a, no, played a noted real-life criminal, Ch- Mark Chopper Reed. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a really wonderful film that is, man, it is. That's a crazy movie, too. But, uh, so I liked both of those films. And then when I saw that he was making another one with, once again, with Brad Pitt, who was in Assassination of Jesse James, um, I was very excited. The reviews were good, not great. But everyone said the acting was pretty solid, and that it was written in in a in kind of a fun way. Yeah, and he I Oscar, I like those. What was that? He got Oscar buzz. I can't remember. Did he actually get a nomination as well? Who? Brad Pitt. No, for that. But oh people my talked about it. I remember people saying that at the time. They talked about it until the movie tanked at the box office, which it very <laughs> much did. I think it debuted at number seven. Really? Um, That's too bad. But it's got a great cast. It's got him. It's got uh, a guy named Scoot McNary who is on his way up. Man, I wish my name was Scoot McNary. I know. It's fun, isn't it? That's a pretty great name. Uh, It's got uh, James Gandolfini in one of the best performances I've ever seen of his. Mm. Uh, It's got a noted Australian actor, Ben Mendelsohn. It's got Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. uh, Let's see. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta's in it. Yeah. And in a really great performance. I like like him a lot. Was it somebody famous who played Dylan... He was in it for a second. Oh, Sam Shepard. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, which like, I love. He's hardly in the movie. Like, and he, you, I don't know if you even see his whole face from the front. Like, you see the side of his face a couple times, and like, yeah. And I was like, "That's somebody, isn't it?" And then he was gone. I was like, "Oh, maybe yeah. I'm wrong." And I but, and and I caught or it's like, "Oh, that's Sam Shepard in a flashback as this guy who basically like runs a criminal." like a a hitman for hire or muscle for hire organization. The character's name is Dylan. Mm. He's in one scene. It's a flashback, but characters keep referring to him. Yeah. You understand. I kind of love that. Yeah. Like he's a presence in the film, whether or not he's in it. He looms. Everyone knows who he is. All you got to do is say his name. If you're like, Oh shoot, I get it. Um, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Which made me think like, they only have to say his name and people know what it means. And then I thought, 
it's it's convenient that in gangster circles no one ever has the same name but then i thought sometimes they do have the same name and it just becomes like fat tony or something yeah like yeah that. they just they add an adjective at the front Absolutely. that's how they do it um and so the film it is a it is about uh low-level crime in i don't remember the city specifically i think it's supposed to be new orleans is officially, it really? but or but I I've also heard Boston. I I've couldn't heard, tell where it was supposed yeah. to be, and maybe that's the idea. The yeah. film does seem to be making larger points about the United States of America, so I think maybe the more generic the city, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, probably so, Ohio then. Yeah, I could if see that be, taking place. When I in think Ohio. of generic America, it makes me think Ohio. Jamerica, that's what I call Jamerica. it. Generica. Eh, it doesn't work. No. Um, and so. Uh, so there is basically a heist in which a uh, a mob connected uh, poker game gets robbed, and the mob wants to find out who did it. But also, there's a theory that the guy who runs the poker game did it himself so that he could keep the game from uh, keep the money from the game. He had actually done it before, and even though he was not, he's not responsible for this one. People, the people who robbed the game, they know that he will be blamed. Because they know that he did it before. Everyone found right. out that he did it before. Right. And so it's kind of a neat, it's a neat little plan, but everyone, eventually everyone realizes, oh, I, I see what happened. This guy probably is not responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But to get to the bottom of, of the whole case, they call in Brad Pitt, who plays a character named uh, Jackie Kogan, um, because it's based on the novel uh, Kogan's Trade. So his name is Jackie Kogan, but I think he's only ever referred to as Jackie. Hmm. But it sounds a lot like Jackie Coogan. It does. <laughs> yes. But um, but anyway, so, um, so he comes in and tries to, well, not tries to, he does get to the bottom of it, and it also involves ba- killing everybody involved. And he is a close associate of this Dylan guy. And he, so when he shows up, people know to give him respect and they know to be afraid of him. Mm -hmm. So it's really just the mechanics of finding out who did it and killing them. It's very simple. There's a lot of dialogue because these characters are kind of, they're vaguely philosophical and they all know each other. That's one of the things that I really love about it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's all kind of a network. Yeah. And just, in the same way that I feel like if you do anything long enough, you will know or at least know of the other people that do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that made the film feel not small, but it made this world seem very specific. You know, when when Jackie calls in another hitman to do the job, uh, the character's name is Mickey. He's played by James Gandolfini. People know who he is. And they're like, oh, I thought he was in prison. I thought this or that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, he got out. Like, everybody knows everybody else, which complicates things. And mm-hmm. But also, I think, thematically, uh, really charges the film. Because just because just because these characters know each other, that doesn't mean that's going to stop them from killing one another mm-hmm. uh, if there is profit to be had. Yeah. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So... I've seen the film twice, and I love it. It is not a perfect film. Uh, it, it wears its themes on its sleeve, mm. but I love the acting, and I love the writing, and I like a lot of the filmmaking so much that it wound up on my top ten last year, and it's a film that I think about a fair amount. Um, Josh, you just watched it today for the first time. Today. What was your reaction? I liked it. You know what? He... 
I had forgotten that he was the same director of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, mm-hmm. uh, which I liked quite a lot. And um, I feel like he's one of those filmmakers who he has a very distinct. I don't know. Like I, I would say he is an auteur filmmaker. Like yes. there's a there's a a tone and a visual approach that he that he strikes that's very consistent, mm-hmm. um, very all of a piece uh, that I really liked. Um, yeah, with because I'm thinking of it from a visual standpoint. Now, there's a lot of framing that I really liked. A lot of a lot mm-hmm. of choices that I really really liked. Some of the the only visual thing I can think that I didn't like is some of the violence effects. I feel like I could see what wasn't real. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, not all, not all around. There were a couple keys because the way that he shoots some of those scenes, it's very, uh, like super slow motion stuff, stylized yeah. kind of things. And, um, in some of those moments I could, I, th- there was stuff I, I wasn't crazy about, but as a, <laughs> I shouldn't just jump right into that as a whole. I, I really liked the look and the feel of it. Um, to the point where I didn't mind so much that the if the themes were on the nose, yeah, um, which I think is good. I feel like sometimes when a movie can get beyond beyond that with just the imagery, mm-hmm. I I have a respect for that. Like I I really like Nicholas Winding Refn as a director, hmm. and some people hate his films because they they talk about how his characters seem to be like dumbed down and sometimes empty and uh, they're a little vacuous i would say yeah and i can say like even if that's the case i don't really care (laughs) i I feel like i still like those movies i've been thinking about him recently because um i feel like several times recently i've heard people talking about people who are not fans of stanley kubrick Mm -hmm. talking about how his films are cold and not very emotional or how they have characters that don't you know you can't really connect to and i might be one of the people that has said that i yeah. think he's brilliant right but emo- he is not an emotional director he's an, an intellectual one right and that's fine and there's nothing wrong with that and that i think is one of the that i'm feeling like i see a connection with him and nicholas winding Refn, and that his yes his films are similar in that way i'm that, kind of going on a rabbit trail but just talking about directors whose style uh who, whose you know visual approach can overcome other shortcomings of, of the film, which I would, I would say Andrew Dominic is one. And it's worth noting, given the nature of what this podcast is, how often do we say, uh, regarding like Christian films, that, oh, well, they make their point too obviously. Mm. If they just made that a bit more subtle and made the film better, then it would, it would just, it would benefit the film. But this is a film that is every bit as overt with mm-hmm. what it's trying to say, but we don't mind it. It's one. Of, it was one of my favorite movies of last year. It's a movie that you really responded to. Why? Why do we? Why don't we mind it? Because the writing is there, the acting is there, the cinematography is there, the editing is there. It's 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 just a really a really solid work of art, and it's it's fascinating. It, it gets me rethinking some of my views of Christian film. They're still terrible. But I used to say like, ah, just don't, just don't make it so obvious. You know what? You can make it as obvious as you want. If it's a good movie, Mm. maybe if it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I, I might not be 
you know, I still might think it's clunky, but that is not going to keep me from liking it. Mm-hmm. And this this movie is a good example. I think it's, I mean, it ends like the like the last the last line, the last monologue of the film sums up very obviously what the film <laughs> yeah. is about. And it almost seems to come out of nowhere because that character hasn't talked that way so much throughout the movie. Yeah. May, other people have a little bit more than he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And I didn't care. And, and then, of course, it smash, uh, smashes cut. Smash cuts. That's it. It smash cuts to, you know, the credits and the music that is, and the song that is chosen there is even really obvious, but it's, uh, uh, money. That's what I want. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was something I remembered having that same thought, but I couldn't yeah. think of what the song was, but that's the thing. I don't, it's, it's fascinating. I don't care if you do it right. You know, if you do it right, you're talking about Nicholas winning Refn and, and Stanley Kubrick. You can actually, look at what people are saying about these filmmakers and say like, oh, well, these characters are are unemotional or the filmmaker doesn't seem interested in emotion. And you can say, yes, I agree with you. Now what? Because the rest (laughs) of it is amazing. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this film. And, uh, and yeah, it gets me rethinking, uh, just, Hey, if you make those Christian films as well as Andrew Dominic made killing them (laughs) softly, I I think I might be fine with it. it, Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's around the corner. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and uh yeah, it's it's a film that just when you look at all three of the of the features that he has made, um there is there's definitely emotion to them. Um I don't mean to imply that there that there isn't, but like when there's a focus on how beautiful his films are and all the technical element, um it would be there's always the potential to say, "Oh, well, he's a he's a stylistic director." Uh, a, a visual director, uh, and he is, but he's also an actor's director, and he also likes a good screenplay, and he seems to really be interested in humanity. And more specifically, there is a great deal of cynicism to his films, but there's also a lot of heartbreak and longing, and you find it a lot in Assassination of Jesse James, but you find it a fair amount in Killing Them Softly. There yeah. is a, a character who is killed. Uh, in slow motion, it's really drawn out, and I always thought, what is the purpose of that character um, dying in that way? I mean, it's, it's stylistically, certainly, it's interesting to look at, but it's also, well, because it's sad, because mm-hmm. this character is, at, insofar as any of these characters are, he's an innocent. He mm-hmm. actually hasn't done what he is being killed for, yeah. and that is unfortunate, but it's an unfortunate reality that these guys live with. And the guy, who, the guy killing him doesn't even want to. Yeah. He just feels like it's a necessity. Yeah. And so I think uh, it just, I think it's a film that looks at the, the toll that this lifestyle takes on the souls of these men, frankly. I, not yeah. to imply that there aren't any women in the crime industry, but, uh, but this is a film that's very much about men. Are there any women in the movie? Yes. One is a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She's the only one, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of talk of women. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, yeah. A predo- it is a predominantly male. There's one scene with a prostitute. She has lines. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she's no doormat. I'll say that. <laughs> she's not. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, and one could see that as a flaw. Uh, it's not often, it happens a lot that movies, 
It happens a lot that movies will have an all-male cast. It does not often happen the other way. Yeah. Um, and you can make of that what you want. You can say that there's an inherent sexism in Hollywood. You could say that uh, that the stories being told that people are most interested in are male-centric. Uh, I don't know... I would be, frankly, I'm more inclined to say that Hollywood is sexist Um, in the same way that I'm always inclined to ascribe almost any negative trait to the studio system. Um, (laughs) You could say it's racist. You could say it's sexist. And I'd be like, yeah, that's that's probably fair. Um, But uh, but yeah, and just I think that's what gets me about this film is it is very cold and calculating. But it also understands, yeah, you don't get to be cold and calculating, you know, unless you die a little bit inside, which is why my favorite character and my favorite sequence of the film uh, involves the character Mickey, played by James Gandolfini. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought he should have been nominated for supporting actor last year if the film made more money and had had if it had a a slightly higher profile. I think he would have been (laughs) if he had died. It would have been. Yeah. Oh, there's earlier. Yeah, but there's there's talk this year yeah. of being nominated for enough set, which is again, which is unfortunate. But yeah, it's another. That, there's another thing you blame on the studio system. Yeah. Um. Ugh. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I know the scene that you're talking about. That's a well. There's there's two scenes, two good ones with him. Actually, are there are there only two with him. Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, but they're both. Yeah. Great scenes, and, and um, man, and that it it points up the contrast to between um or i guess points up the theme that only the strong survive mm-hmm. um because you get a you get a, an idea of what this guy was and what he is yeah and um that the 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 industry as it were is gonna eat him alive because he's not what he once was because he's not strong anymore yeah maybe the film itself is a comment on the studio system uh, i wouldn't doubt it um (laughs) they could say weinstein instead of dylan (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's uh i feel like his story or you know his two scenes are are the the film in microcosm because he plays a hitman who gets called in he is not the main character he is sort of a, a ringer he's a independent contractor one could say that uh brad pitt calls in to do one specific hit he comes in and the two share drinks and you just see a, a sadness in james gandolfini in fact you see him the, you see it the minute he walks off the plane you just see he's walking slow he's there he kind of has a slump going to his shoulders and just uh but he can still you know he and Jackie still uh, Jackie is the character played by Brad Pitt. I just want to emphasize that um, he and Jackie like have a nice rapport and stuff, but Jackie does take notice. Oh, he sure is drinking a lot for mid afternoon mm-hmm. and he's being a little standoffish with the waiter, but he's still, but he's also telling stories about like last time he was in jail and the, the effect it had on his wife and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and, Jackie is just looking at him like, okay, this guy is different than mm-hmm. what he used to be, but he still seems somewhat capable and that sort of thing. But then the next time you see him, he just, he's been drinking and doing uh, probably cocaine and, and having sex with prostitutes uh, for a day or two at this point and is just just a mess, but is aggressive and it's just it, it really feels like it sounds strange. This is this is the 
not merely because James Gandolfini is a large man, but it feels like a bear that's been awo- that's been awakened from hibernation. <laughs> it's like yes, it'll be groggy and tired at first, but eventually it you'll remember oh it's a bear mm-hmm. and it will lash out, mm-hmm. and he is just very dangerous and I just and eventually. He be, he's he's not merely dangerous. He's also a liability to what needs to happen. Yeah. And so Jackie orchestrates something that will not, it won't kill him, but it is going to, I would venture to say, ruin his life. Yeah. And that that's consistent with who Jackie's character is and what he talks about and, and what he does, which is the title of the film, Killing mm-hmm. Them Softly. His idea is that when you he has a monologue where he says when you kill people it's always it's always a mess basically when you have to deal with them close up face to face it's a mess to deal with the whole thing um there's emotions he talks about there's you know emotions running wild people crying for their mother and things like that and he says he likes to kill them softly like from a distance yeah um to effectively erase any kind of personal connection that you have with that person going either way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's his, that's his literal approach to actually killing people. But Mm -hmm. that's also is his approach to what, what happens with Mickey. It's the same type of thing that he keeps it from being any kind of, uh, he keeps that distance between them Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, takes him down without having to, have any kind of interaction well and also the thing is this clearly these guys have a they have a history and they have a affection for each other yeah. like they they were friends yeah but but mickey for a number of reasons yes he is a liability to the job and that in the end is what is the biggest problem but also he is too much of a handful as a person like he brings a lot of emotional problems to the table and jackie clearly cannot deal with that Mm -hmm. and that and that doesn't have to be specific to uh crime like i mean i'm sure a lot of us have no it's entirely possible that if you're listening to this you've been in jackie's possession position or you've been in mickey's but i'm sure we've all had friends that just for whatever reason in for a time they become a lot more trouble. I'm sorry to put it in the, in these terms. A lot more trouble than they're worth. You know, they're they're just taking and taking and not giving anything. Maybe because life has, in that particular moment, dealt them a bad hand or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's just like, oh, I do not have the energy to deal with this person. And while Mickey is dangerous, you also get this impression of, oh, my friend isn't what he used to be, and now. I'm just going to have to baby him. He's not going to give me anything back. So you know what? I'm out. I can't deal mm-hmm. with this. It's too complicated. It's too touchy-feely is the term that he uses when killing people. <laughs> um, but the thing is, <laughs> uh, Jackie is, I would say, fairly... He, he tries to be sympathetic to people. Mm-hmm. You know, He tries to be as gentle as possible because there is a character that needs to be killed um but the uh, crime syndicate they want to beat him up and he says why why do you want to do that come on and it's like you're gonna wind up killing him eventually so why not just do that you know why put him through a beating it's not gonna be you know nobody's gonna like it just i know 
what you won't yet admit, which is this guy, you're going to want to kill him. So just do that. Hmm. And that is viewed as like humanitarian and yeah. sympathetic in, in this world. But also it just, it makes the character of Jackie really interesting. He's not the most dynamic character and that he doesn't really change over mm. the course of the film, but he is nonetheless fascinating. I was thinking about it. And I feel like Brad Pitt brings a humanity to him that probably is not there on the page so much. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm thinking about, the lines and the scenes and I'm imagining that character on paper. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like just the script may be a lot more cynical than the film itself is. Yeah. Which is interesting because I, I feel like you can put all those things down and they can have the same weight to them. But when, when you see sort of the, the humanity behind them, when you mm-hmm. put people in them who, who, uh, cause, cause who make the choice to play that character as kind of a multi-leveled thing because you don't have to you can play that character as just yeah cold nails yeah yeah all the way like like an anton chigurh for example or something like that yeah um but he doesn't do that and i feel like that that brings uh i feel like that makes the movie better in that it's more i don't know maybe it makes you think more if if well it makes it more complicated certainly because it would be easy to just look at this guy and be like man that is one cold guy yeah and then then you see that he is just cynical and nothing else right but then you see well he does have a heart to him he does understand like why put somebody through something that isn't necessary Mm. now one could say there's a certain degree of practicality to that but we'll get to that in a second but it does show like and also he doesn't necessarily one of the people that he needs to kill is a guy that he knows and has a previous relationship with now. And that's why he calls in Mickey because he doesn't want to kill this guy that yeah. he knows. What's the difference? The guy's not going to talk. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what's the problem? And he never really says. And when the time comes and Mickey can't do the job, then it's like, all right, he reluctantly decides he'll do the job himself. But yeah, that's, you're absolutely right on the page. And from what it sounds like the book, you know, I've read a fair amount of crime fiction and it is part of the appeal is you get a, you get a peek into the underbelly of crime and you see, and the, those books tend not to be very, uh, human, you know, humanistic or emotional or anything like that. It is just part of the thrill is you get to see these guys just, cold as ice you know yeah. and they get to and they act the way we wish we could act you know if, if we were unhampered by emotion um and so yeah it could have in the hands of a different actor but also certainly a different, different director, director yeah uh it could have just been cold and you know even if the lines were the same and you have the character like mickey it just it wouldn't have felt the same and i think that's that's one of the reasons why i respond to it is it's mm-hmm. just it lives in this something that i keep coming back to lately in uh in the movies that i watch is that the good ones tend to effectively live in this tension understanding that humanity tends to be fairly contradictory Mm -hmm. um humanity doesn't people tend not to shake out the way characters do where it's Mm -hmm. like all right this is the character trait and if he's a lead then we will have him change over time or if he's supporting he will just have that trait it's like yeah And, and and it needs to be a straight line it needs to be linear like we Whereas if you have a character who says this thing but then acts this way, you could you would read that script and say, well, this isn't consistent. It's like, well, most people I know are not very consistent. Yeah. Except you, Josh. You're not throwing any curveballs my way. Nope. Fastballs <laughs> all the time. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. But uh, 
but yeah, and that's what I that's what I like about this is that it effectively lives in that tension and emphasizes the contradiction of these characters, specifically the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, but at no point does it go too far in one direction or another. Because if you do that, if you decide I'm going to make a cynical movie that's cold and then you have just a sprinkling of emotions like where what's that where yeah. did that come from it seems strange or if you want to have a humanistic movie with this little touch of cold it's like what what is mm-hmm. that like it needs to walk that line if you're going to do it in what i think is the most engaging way so anyway um was there anything else that you wanted to mention certainly there are a lot of characters we could talk about there's you know the the dialogue itself is is fascinating but uh yeah but was there anything else that uh, that struck you particularly when you watched it? I think all the other things that really stood out to me were thematic things that I think we want to get into sort of for the for the core of the episode. Okay. So, um, well, we've been doing we've been talking for a while, so I'm fine with moving into that. I I, I will specify, um, you know, Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini are kind of the the and Ray Liotta are, are kind of the names, but there's a guy named Scoot McNary, as we said, who uh, is getting cast a lot more these days. Uh, he was maybe the only character I found particularly dynamic in the film Argo. He's the uh, hostage with the mustache who does not oh, think yeah. the plan is going to work. Yeah, that was him. He was also in a film called Monsters, uh, which is a directed by Gareth Edwards, who's going to be directing uh, Godzilla, the upcoming Godzilla remake. Really? Yeah. Uh, which and I assume, having seen Monsters, I would assume that he's doing that on the basis of Monsters. Have you seen it? No, it's very good. It's I on wanna, Netflix. I almost have seen it more than once. Like it's been, you know, yeah. when you're in Netflix and you're like, I'm between these two or three things, yeah. and you can't decide. It's, it's a good it's one. It's one of those. It's worth a watch. Um, but uh, but yeah, Scoot McNary plays just this. Uh, this weaselly little guy that, that is actually he has not been in this business long enough to become jaded to become cold like he is jumpy he is he still has loyalty to people but over the course of the film you actually see him compromise that to save his own skin Mm -hmm. um but i think it's a great performance i like him a lot i mean i think he's kind of the co-lead of the film he might actually be the lead because he kind of changes he's the most dynamic character you could say that um although it's just even from early on in the film, before things have gone south for him, mm-hmm. you can tell that this is a character who he's not in control. Like, right? He he. Like even from the, I guess the, probably the no, not the second film. Early on in the film, he he's doing a heist. Yeah, and he's for all intents and purposes in charge. Like mm-hmm. he's he's handling that. But you you have this feeling the whole time like he's going to mess this up. That like, this scene is, is not, so tense yeah precisely yeah. because they've done such a good job of establishing both characters as unstable right <laughs> and kind of unreliable oh yeah so here we have these characters and we're like these guys these guys should not be this is not going to end well yeah and it's it's funny that you have that it's an accomplishment of the film that you have that feeling even though they don't really do anything particular to make you you know, it's not like they forget to do something, or yeah. it's not like they. Uh, I, I don't. I shouldn't say too much. They have a away, humorously sort of sawed-off shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> which it, which should tell you the level of their incompetence. Mm. But it's 
so and that's the thing is the film is at times quite funny but it's a very it's a very gallows humor there yeah but that's the thing is i love that before this incredibly tense scene you actually have you know a laugh but man that is everyone that that scene is top notch ray Liotta's great in that scene too yeah, he's he the is. guy he's the guy who's getting robbed and is trying to make sure no one gets killed but he's also very aware of what the impact is going to be on his yeah. life yeah if this happens so totally. it's just a he's a ray Liotta's an actor i feel like i'm seeing him more recently and i'm happy about that because i i really do like oh yeah you work. and i just watched the place beyond, place the, beyond the pines, pines. he's, he's good, good in that. then a very different character but and you never saw narc did you Mm-mm. oh is he good in that? I think he's amazing. I think it's his yeah. best performance. Um, and it's by, it's a movie that I like a lot. And I, it's the one, it's one that I always push on people because it's one that not a lot of people have seen, but it's actually fairly accessible while also being really great. Joe Carnahan. Joe Carnahan. Yeah. He's a filmmaker I don't really like, but mm-hmm. I love that movie. Um, yeah, Ray Liotta is good. Too. You know, it's fascinating. The character is, well, a lot of these characters are often afraid and intimidated. And that is a hard thing to play. And it's something that's not particularly desirable to play. Like, nobody mm-hmm. wants to play the guy who's scared all the time. Yeah. You know? And especially when you're Ray Liotta and you've been in Goodfellas and you were in NARC playing a character named Henry Oak, who is, you know, a little bit on the nose, but also the character is just a force of yeah. nature. Uh, and then to play this character who's just always trying to talk himself out of a jam. I mean, I, I had that exact thought. Like, is this is this like a natural progression? Is that one of the reasons that they cast him? Is is there like, you know, he used to be this guy. Yeah. Cause that's kind of what the character was. He used to be uh, a player. He used to be a little bit more, uh, maybe played fast and loose a little bit more yeah. in his past. And now it's kind of coming again. Only the strong survive. He's, he's yeah. older now. He's not as strong as he once was. Yeah. And he's trying to, and that's the thing is, in many ways, he sort of learned his lesson. Right. And it's precisely because he made mistakes when he was younger and he is weak. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that idea of like kind of that, the Darwinism idea, only yeah. strong survive, like that is very much, was it, na- uh, natural selection is the yeah. term. And yeah. just, yeah, that definitely plays a, a part in this. The, and it's worth noting that the older and weaker are the ones that uh, tend not to make it. But also, yeah. eh, so there's some young guys that don't make it either. But um, but yeah, and I so I thought Ray Liotta is great. Scoot McNary is great. Ben Mendelsohn is in it. He's a, we just mentioned Place Beyond the Pines. He's in that as well. And what I consider to be a wonderful performance. And I like it. And he's he's the other guy in the heist who is actually some even less reliable than the uh, jumpy nervous guy mm. because he is a drug-addled. <laughs> Uh, displaced Australian guy who is just nobody likes him and he is just a mess and you just and just looking at him and the way he carries himself in the costumes like this guy smells I can just <laughs> oh, tell yeah. he smells one, one, maybe the second scene he's in in the film where he's got the dog there and they're having yeah. that conversation that's a great scene and I love the way it's framed yeah um, but I believe he's eating a popsicle Yes, he's eating. He's eating a popsicle that's like melting apart in his oh. hands. He looks like he's just covered in sweat. Like, yeah. and he's talking about all the good things he's got going for himself. Like, yeah. uh, talking about how he doesn't really need this job because he's got this other thing going on, and he's got a girl uptown. Maybe he'll go see the girl instead. Yeah. And I'm like, how does this guy think that he has better options in his yeah. life? Like, it's 
it's patently obvious that this guy thinks that his life is better than it is. Yeah, he's got it all worked out, this guy. <laughs> and he really, uh, the companion film is going to be American Buffalo, and Russell, more so than any of the characters, remind uh, any other character in Killing Them Softly, he reminds me of a David Mamet creation, like mm. a uh, just just a low-rent person yeah. who it's like, man, your your ambition is non-existent. And g- kudos to you for being content with what you have, yeah. but boy, oh boy. And he's like, he's the only one that can't see it, too. Like, any, yeah. anyone or everyone around him can see, like, this guy yeah. is not. Yeah. But I, and I love that performance because it is a completely unselfconscious performance. Mm. Uh, and then also uh, an actor that I really like is Richard Jenkins, who plays a character only referred to as Driver. You never find out his name. Yeah, really. He is a lawyer who represents the mob, and he is the go-between between uh, between the mob and Jackie. It's it, it's like this mystery syndicate. Like you don't yeah. really know. I didn't realize until about halfway through the movie. But you're like, I don't even know who he's. Yeah. Like who he's playing for. I don't know yeah. where and he comes from. And this goes to the this goes to the theme that his character is a lawyer, somebody who in theory is there to, you know, uh, represent the law. But it's more just like okay, he's a mob he's a mobbed up lawyer, obviously, yeah. and so he's just there to make sure things don't you know keep it, he keeps his clients out of trouble. But um, but also the way that he talks about it. It's like a it's like a corporation. It's like a company. It's a very bureaucratic yeah. mindset. The way there, there's yeah one scene in particular where he's talking about it as just a business, as a yeah. as a bureaucratic business, and it's it's weird to think of that they're you know instead of dealing in textiles and food, they're dealing in murder and and uh, robbery. Yeah, and it's just uh, and that's that's a nice touch as well, and one that as we said as I said will very much go towards the larger theme. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and he, and he's great. The, R- Richard Jenkins has a tremendous ability to just, to be a cor- just a corporate tool <laughs> while also maintaining a surprising amount of personality. Yeah. Um, his back and forth with, uh, Jackie, because it's, it's kind of refreshing because both of them are kind of at the same level. They both have bosses. Um, Jackie has Dylan. And then Driver has the mob, and both of them are able to complain about the way this works. Mm-hmm. You know, just oh, no, nobody's willing to pull the trigger on anything. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just uh, so many of these scenes are just—they're just such a joy to watch. Like they could go on. It, in many ways, it feels like a play. Yeah, uh, they could go on each scene could go on way longer than it does and they tend to go on but it could go on much longer and i would i'd be fine with it because i just enjoy spending time watching these actors say this dialogue in in this story um it's just a i don't know listener if you've not seen killing them softly hopefully we haven't spoiled too much i don't think so it's not it's not like a spoiler type of movie yeah there's Um, a lot of stuff you should there's a couple things here and there yeah yeah yeah, and I mean, there's a there's a death towards the end that's just like I didn't want this to happen, but it has to. The nature kinda, of this story is yeah. it's going to. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm yeah I'm very happy that I that I saw it because if I had not seen it in the theater, kind of on a whim, I, I might not have seen it 
it's yeah, just one of those I mean, that kind of slip through the cracks that's exactly the way i felt about it like i had heard about it when it was out but i didn't hear too much about it and it came and went and i forgot about it yeah okay so the companion film is directed by michael Carenti. And it was written by David Mamet based on his play. It's called American Buffalo. came out in 1996. Uh, if you know David Mamet at all, you know that uh, he was his heyday of being a playwright was uh, in the 80s. He won two Pulitzer Prizes, one for American Buffalo and the next for uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, between the two, I, I do love both of them. American, American Buffalo is pretty great. Um, I, I'm. It's a three character uh play once again all men Mm. um but it's also a situation where these characters who are just these down and out losers in chicago one of them owns a junk store uh or like a resale shop i guess you could call it um (laughs) and the other is just kind of a drifter who just you know lives in a hotel and just takes jobs here and there and all that and the way they talk about their friends, you can tell just all of these people are just low lives. They're just the, they're just the worst. Um, and, uh, and so the, the cast features Dustin Hoffman, Dennis Franz and Sean Nelson. Uh, Sean Nelson is, he was pretty young, uh, in this film, but he's gone on to be in a number. He was in, uh, the movie fresh, which was a big deal in the, in the, in the nineties. Um, and I, I'm not totally sure what he has been in since then. I, I, he might have been in The Best Man. I'm not sure. I hate to say, but I, I didn't really follow his career. Dennis Franz is an actor that I love. Um, and he... Dustin Hoffman has the showier role, but Dennis Franz is doing some really amazing work in just being this character who's just sedentary and just a just a mountain of a man who just likes to sit in his chair and have things his way. <laughs> and, uh, and then Dustin Hoffman plays the character named teach. Uh, I would venture to say that that nickname is self-applied, uh, <laughs> because he just will not stop talking and just ta- telling people, this is how life is. You know, yeah. there's a, a wonderful exchange where, uh, teach who is really starting to annoy Don over the course of the play, uh, and the film, uh, teachers just you know talking about this stuff and then don goes what makes you such an authority on life all of a sudden and teachers like my life jim don's name is not jim but he keeps saying <laughs> jim because he's a jerk uh, he goes my life jim and the way i've lived it and then don goes what does that mean teacher? and he goes nothing it means nothing <laughs> and just it's it's little things like that where you know all really all you need to do is stand up to teach just a little bit and he'll back down and realize oh yeah i guess i'm not that great (laughs) um but yeah and so uh so these are guys who are dealing with a low level heist themselves they are going to uh they they found a guy who collects coins and they're going to break into his house and they're going to steal his coins and so his coin collection they're going to go sell them um and Sean Nelson plays the young kid, Bobby, whose job it is to watch the guy. And so he sees the guy and his girlfriend with a suitcase. They're leaving on a Friday. Clearly, they're going for the weekend. Now is their chance. They're going to break in. Uh, And Teach is not going to be part of the plan, but he kind of muscles his way in just through insistence. And it's them planning the heist and then getting ready to do it, but they never actually do it. Spoilers. Um... And 
it's just fascinating because there's this it's funny a lot of the time but we're just dealing with characters like Russell and Frankie from uh, from Killing Them Softly and they're just like you know we talked about the Russell character he reminds Mm. me of Teach Mm. in a number of ways just just so just so low rent just grap uh, grasping at anything he can yeah um and that to him and so like the idea of just breaking into somebody's house and stealing his coins that is not merely a big score but it's like this is the way these the way these characters look at it is it's a business it's a business proposition mm-hmm. and it's like it's a crime <laughs> that's all it is and don't get me wrong, it's crime in killing them softly, but that at least has the veneer of a business. Mm. You know, corporate decisions being made, a lawyer, you know, uh, hiring independent contractors to do a job. It feels like business. This is just three guys who are like, hey, we're going to break into somebody's house. Everyone good with that? Okay, awesome. <laughs> we're in business. And just, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But then also, one of the wonderful things that I like about it is there are only three characters, but it feels like there are maybe six because these guys are constantly talking about mutual acquaintances. There's Grace and Ruthie. There's Fletcher. There's Earl. Well, none of these characters ever show up, but you feel like you know them. It's astounding. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, where did I hear this? Uh, Somebody was talking about, uh, it's like, oh man, I would love to play Fletcher. And they say that knowing full well you'd never be on stage, but what a great character to play. And it saves me the time of having to memorize any dialogue. Uh, and just, and when the, and the, when the uh, movie starts, it comes the day after a poker game that they've all had in which Grace and Ruthie and Fletcher won and Don and Teach did not win. And then it comes out that, uh, oh, it's very possible that uh, Fletcher cheated. And so these people are all friends and friendly, but they're also rather craven, and their loyalty does not go very far. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a line that I really like in which Teach says, loyalty is fine, but this is business. <laughs> and so what he's basically saying is, loyalty means nothing if I stand to gain nothing. Um <laughs> And, or if I stand to gain something. Mm. And so uh, so that's what we're talking about is in both cases, we're talking about business and the way these characters, you know, they're trying to be pragmatic. They're, they're constantly justifying their actions in one way or another by saying, hey, it's just business. It's not personal. And we just need to approach this in a practical way. And the way you and I, Josh, were talking about it beforehand is the idea of viewing people either as a help or a hindrance to what these people want. Hmm. And what they want is money. What they want is a certain lifestyle. What they want is frankly their way. Yeah. And you get this more with killing them softly, but it's, you know, only the strong survive. It's like, okay, well in order to, I want to survive. So I need to be the strongest. And if that means killing the weakest, so be it. You know, it's all about me and my survival. And within that survival, maybe a pretty nice life while I'm at it. Um, but what's fascinating is that, you know, the characters in Killing Them Softly could very well live very well. Um, whereas in American Buffalo, these guys, I mean, they stand to make maybe a few thousand dollars. Yeah. They're, they're never they're never really getting out of yeah kind of the, the underbelly that they live in. And it's probably the same with Russell and Frankie and oh, no Killing question. Them Softly. They're, they're probably not going anywhere. 
Um, yeah, they basically put their lives on the line for I think a total of thirty grand, which yeah. that's a that's a large amount of money. But it's going to be split I think three ways because neither Russell nor Frankie actually plan the heist. It's another guy yeah. referred to as Squirrel. Um, so it's going to be like thirty grand split three ways. So these guys are putting their lives on the line for ten grand each. Yeah, and it's just uh, astounding to me. Yeah. But, uh, cause it's, yeah, there's, there's still small time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that is, it is an interesting idea in both films that like we were talking about, it's all about, uh, their goal is the money. Mm-hmm. And so they only see people as hindrances or did you, you, did you already use the phrase hindrances and helps? Uh, help or a hindrance. Help yes. or hindrance, yeah, to, to getting the money. So that's why uh, Jackie's character in Killing Them Softly ends up just looking at people as... Uh, the, he can talk so callously about killing people. Like, mm-hmm. in, the, in the instance of the one character we mentioned, he just says, you, you should just kill him. Like, you're going to have to kill him eventually. Yeah. There's no point in beating him up. Just kill him. Yeah. Um, because he's just thinking of it in terms of business. Like, this is something that you have to do for the business. You have to kill him or else the business doesn't continue to work, to work the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, he ceases to be a person. Um, or he ceases to be thought about in the way that general society accepts you should think about people. Yeah. Um, because he's in the way of the business. Yeah. And... You know, I there there are a number of quotes uh, from both films that you know kind of declare this uh, this theme, um, and really, if you were to watch these movies, first off, you would absolutely believe they exist in the same universe. Although stylistically, they're very different. Their scripts are very similar. Um, like I said, Killing Them Softly feels like a play. American Buffalo is a play, but. Um, if you put these together, you see what can happen. Just the, just the, the deadening of the soul that can happen when you approach people as a possible obstacle to what you want. And that ultimately you and your desires, your goals, maybe even your needs are that trumps everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've got a few quotes, uh, of their philosophy, uh, this one is is from Killing Them Softly. Uh, Jackie is watching uh, uh, footage of Barack Obama's uh, inaugural address. No, not his his uh, was not in his inaugural. It's it's election night. He's just been elected. So his victory speech. Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so he's giving his victory speech, and it's you know soaring rhetoric. Regardless of what you think of it, it's you know it's very inspiring and that sort of thing. So it's on in a bar and. Uh, a lot of people have just died in the film and uh and jackie is talking with driver and he's referencing the speech that they're watching and he says this guy in reference to president obama this guy wants to tell me we're living in a community don't make me laugh i'm living in america and in america you're you're on your own america is not a country it's just a business now pay me i clean that up a little bit for the uh for the podcast <laughs> um and it's just summing that up. Now, of course, there's definitely political overtones to that. The idea of, you know, in a, cap- in a capitalist society. And frankly, uh, you know, um, we have referenced 
Ayn Rand on the show in the past. Mm. Now, Ayn Rand would never say that killing somebody is okay, but it is basically whatever you need is fine. And if everybody does whatever is right for themselves, it'll all work out. Mm. Now, to a certain degree, economically, I'm on board with that. But of course, there's also laws and morality. You need yeah. to temper that with laws and morality. Right. Um, and these characters don't. And so what these films wind up being killing them softly more so than uh, American Buffalo, although there is a an act of violence in American Buffalo in which a character hits another character with a phone. Uh, sorry, not a cell phone, like a big rotary phone, and hits him in the head because this guy has, uh, is getting in the way. Um, so these films are the extreme of that attitude. Um, I won't say the extreme of capitalism, but the extreme of basic selfishness. Mm. Um, this idea that this it's the self above all, um, and really anything else is just window dressing. Um, there's a line in, uh, American Buffalo in which teach says we live, uh, we all live like the cavemen and it comes when things have not gone well for him. It's in the middle of a long series of declarative statements that he makes based on the events that has that have happened in the film and also maybe just in his life in general we all live like the cavemen and i'm reminded of a bit by Patton oswalt in which he talks about how though he is an atheist he loves religion because up until religion came along uh literally just the biggest guys just killed everybody and then somebody and then in his view somebody came up with this idea that says no no hey whoa hang on if you don't kill me and if, in fact, you're nice to me, then there's this invisible place in the sky where you can go and have cake. And uh, so it's reference to his uh, to sky cake. And so he talks about, you know, the the civilizing influence of religion. And of course, a lot of people would say that it is not that. But um, but what he's essentially saying is when you when you bring something that is outside of us and whether it's real or not, and obviously you and I believe that it is real mm-hmm. um, when you have something that is outside of us, something that's bigger than ourselves, then immediately we start to not act like cavemen and we start to be like, oh, there is something more than just what I want. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting because in both films you're, you're examining a world where they sort of throw out any kind of moral code and then kind of have to re-decide what what they're going to base things on like what what are they going to base their system on yeah and it's interesting because and specifically killing them softly they're they're drawing throughout the film we haven't mentioned this uh, obviously yet but throughout the film there are um a lot of references to the president the 2008 presidential election going on and a lot of things that are happening in politics um and a lot of it in reference to business because there's some stuff mm-hmm. about the the uh, the bailouts and right. those things and and the economy. Um, so the film is is in a way questioning, uh, I think, capitalism as a whole. Mm-hmm. But uh, the I guess the idea of the the worship of the almighty dollar, as yeah. as people have said before. Um, and it's finding a problem with that. Uh, so I wonder, I mean, maybe the filmmaker just means to raise the questions, but 
what what is the answer to that question in the filmmaker's mind to say like you you can't just have everything and just be based on money because if that's mm-hmm. all it is if all you do have is people who are just trying to get money it starts with people who are trying to cheat somebody else out of money then it, it that escalates to other people wanting to get that guy back because of his money right. that turns into somebody else killing somebody to get you know to make money because those people need to keep their image which makes keeps them in money so it, it just keeps it, it's this cycle yeah of um people doing whatever they can do with no uh you know moral ramifications uh in order to keep getting and continue getting money but if it's not based on that which film clearly is saying this is not a good system right <laughs> Um, then what does the film say that it's based on? Like, what should these things be based on? Because I don't think the filmmaker would say, we, well, we shouldn't, we just shouldn't have business. Right. I don't think anyone agrees with that. But w- there, it shows that both the people who are making the film and probably people who respond to it recognize that there, there has to be some kind of agreed upon code. Like mm-hmm. there has to be, even if it's just as basic as we don't kill each other, or maybe we don't steal the money from each other in the first place. Like there has to be some kind of code. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I will say two of the, uh, those two things are both in a, a very famous set of code that we refer to as the 10 commandments. What's just that? saying, huh? just saying, what I, I'm not following you. That's okay. Um, there was a lot of not honoring of the father and mother in uh, <laughs> the family unit in uh, in killing them softly. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's and as we've said on the show before uh, with uh, the film in which we discussed uh, the proposition. Any like we we choose various things and say that is what is the ultimate good. It could be money, and obviously people are. Money and career are the things that are really obvious to say, well, people should not define themselves that way. That should not be the thing that drives them. Uh, it's like family. Family is a good thing. But family winds up being just an extension of yourself as well. You know, choosing, well, this guy's my brother, so I'll kill the guy that isn't my brother. I will, you know, I will take my brother's side over, but over anybody else's. And I recognize that that is probably a good quality. That's, that's fine. Uh, not when it comes to death, obviously, but like... <laughs> It's a, it's a noble quality, but also, yeah, sometimes right and wrong transcends the idea of family. Mm. So, and also, who's to say your family, Josh, I'm looking at you, who's to say your family is more important than my family? You know what I mean? Like, in the end... I am. Well, exactly. I am to say that. And I... Well, uh, and so that's the thing. So, suddenly, asserting superiority or uh, priority of this thing whether it be family or career or whatever any of these other things that drive us um it suddenly becomes interesting the character's name is driver moving on uh but uh (laughs) it's all part of a larger plan oh my gosh andrew dominic you genius (laughs) um he foresaw this slide he got it he got it two out of his last two movies have uh, become uh, podcast episodes i think that's worth noting <laughs> um <laughs> that's what he's going for <laughs> i did i didn't uh, i don't know if this is well f- finish your thought and then i had something else that but just so and but that's the thing so there's all these things that we say well if this if you focus on this then you'll be good but in the end 
it's just a different version of focusing on yourself and asserting yourself over other people, whether it be asserting your economic comfort or asserting that your family is the is the most important one simply by virtue of it being your family. You know, and I went, I, I used family as an example, but it can be other things as well. It can be philosophy. It can be a religious belief. Anything that eventually points to, but no, you don't understand. It's, this is my thing. And so I refuse to be offended. I refuse to be whatever. And in refusing that, I will maybe trample on somebody else. It could be emotionally or it could be, in the case of these movies, it could be physically hurting somebody, if not killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so uh, you're going to say something. I was just going to say, and I feel like this changes the subject and isn't even necessarily on the themes that we were thinking about, but in thinking about how Andrew Dominic's former film is called The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, mm-hmm. there, there's a, a that idea of the assassin being a coward, I feel like is still kind of present in this one. The idea that uh, Jackie doesn't want to get close to these people or have to deal with them in any kind of personal way is, mm-hmm. is in a sense, a cowardice, you know, he doesn't want to have to, to head on deal with the, with the things that he's doing. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, that's something that just struck me all of a sudden because he, if he were to interact with these people on any kind of personal level, when he kills them in that touchy feely way, then that's, that's more challenging in a way because then you have to, you have to recognize that that person that you have turned into a a, uh, a business ex, uh, business impediment mm-hmm. um, is a living, breathing, breathing human being that wants to live just as much as you do. And so when he puts that out of his mind and when he doesn't put himself in the situations where he has to be mindful of that, there's a, there's a cowardice inherent in that. And also it speaks to this idea of you know, I, I don't. I hate using this term, but it's one that people understand. Uh, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, like striving for a code of honor. It's like you can kill people provided you don't shoot them in the back, like Robert Ford, or you know, look them in the face, get up close, don't do the cowardly thing and shoot them from afar. You know, don't do that. You know, that is come on, that's mm. dishonorable. It's like how about this? Don't kill anybody. There's an option. No? All right. Because, and it's just, it's weird. Like, even within something as terrible as murder, the audience, but also the characters, they seem to grasp for something bigger and more, bigger than what they are doing that they can appeal to. It's like, okay, yes, you can kill somebody, but don't beat them first. Come on. What, what's the point of that? Or, yes, you can kill somebody, but if you shoot them in the back, you will be reviled. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can kill somebody, but, you know, you're you're pretty cold if you don't want to hear them pleading for their mother. You know, you got to do that. You got to own up to it. And it's, and it's not focusing on the central thing. But that's... But I feel like that's what we do when we are choosing the self over something else. We will find, like, yes, we're doing that, but we're doing it this way. That whatever it is, we're doing it this way, and thus, it's it's okay. It's okay when I do it because I'm doing it like this. Mm-hmm. If someone weren't doing that, that's that's when it's bad. It's like no, it's still choosing. It's choosing me over you. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe and maybe some people, even myself, as I say it, like it, 
why, why wouldn't I choose me over? Yes, yes, being unselfish is fine, but in the end, like, why would I not do that? Hmm. Um, you know, I often ask, not often, but I've thought in the past, if I saw that a complete stranger was about to be shot and he didn't see it or whatever, would I jump in the way of the bullet? Now, if it was a, if it was my wife, certainly I would. If it was a friend, I probably would. I would, I very likely, very likely would. If it was an acquaintance that I was friends with, I, I probably would. If it was someone that I just knew in general, I probably would. But if it was someone I didn't like or a stranger, would would my first instinct be to do that? Maybe, but probably. Who knows? You know, when we're dealing with instinct, you, there's no conscious thought. And so maybe, you know, you want to believe that your instinct is to jump in front. But also, as we're talking about it now, removed from that situation that has not happened, um, part of me is like, yeah, but you don't know what that stranger is. You don't know who he is. It could be a, it could be a maniac, you know. Um, he could be the next Hitler. <laughs> you, in the meantime, you I know. You just saved Hitler. Yeah. It's like, in, mean, in the meantime, hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this podcast, which people seem to enjoy. So I'm doing some. I'm doing you're, something. You're not Hitler. I'm not Hitler. Not with this attitude. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so it's that. That I think is an interesting thing. Is that like jumping in front of a bullet is a selfless act, you know, or not jumping it is a selfish act. But if you qualify, it's like, well, certainly I wouldn't do it to save this bad person. It's like, well, you're still acting selfishly. That's fine. I did it for this reason. I'm sure you can understand. Um, but yeah, and so it's, this seems counterintuitive because surely it's okay for us to choose ourselves over other people in certain circumstances, obviously. But not really. Hmm. That's one of the things that the Bible is constantly saying is, no, you need to deny yourself. Yeah. And some people might say that that's a function of guilt. That's a function of like, oh, come on. Like, that's that's terrible. But just, the okay, the characters in Killing Them Softly deny themselves nothing. Nothing. The character, uh, the characters in, um, in uh, American Buffalo... They may be small time, but the idea of hitting somebody with a phone or stealing something, yeah, they do they do go out of their way to say that this guy was a real jerk uh, <laughs> when he came in and acted really entitled. <laughs> and so they're able to justify doing this thing. Yeah. But it's like, they're going to find a reason, no matter what. Yeah. You know? And just... And so they're... The idea of, hey, let's not steal from a stranger. I don't know. Why did I even specify stranger? To not steal from anybody... Tyler, like, that doesn't enter their mind. Tyler, the heart wants what the heart wants. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> oh, right. Psychopaths. <laughs> doesn't it seem like something out of Eat, Pray, Love? <laughs> you know? And that's that's uh, an example of something we're ta- we've, yeah. we've talked about. Is you know, And that's a much more likely example. I don't think any of our listeners are going to kill anybody or even rob anybody. But they might. It's entirely possible, Christian or otherwise, that we could break up with somebody, hurt them tremendously, and say it's okay that I did it because of this, because Mm -hmm. of that, you know, but it's just, we are supposed to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. And it, and I say it knowing full well that people might have a problem with the fact that I'm saying it. Yeah. But uh, another thing that we can learn from both of these films too, is that the consequences mean something. They Mm -hmm. don't mean something to these 
people. Yeah. Um, not in any kind of immediate sense. Some of them realize the consequences when they are, mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're killed. Um, but they live in this way of thinking that I can continue doing what I want. It's, it's just business. I can yeah. get what I need to get. And, uh, the, these consequences are not they don't matter yeah um but ultimately they do matter mm-hmm. and that's you know something that we can see from looking at these films from the outside so i've got a, a number of bible verses to read um and it's and i there's a, a quote from teach in american buffalo that i that i think i might want to end on no, I'm not. I'm going to... There'll be one thing to read after that. But, uh, so, here's a Bible verse from Judges 17.6. In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. I was thinking of that verse yesterday. It's it's That's one that... Weird. it It speaks to what we're talking about, which is, these characters, they do not have a code that is outside themselves, that they do not decide on their own. They don't have that, and thus they are able to justify doing terrible things. They are doing what is right in their own eyes. That's the big. That's the most important thing. It's like I'm doing what's right for me. It's like if you don't, I'm of the opinion that if you do not have something bigger than yourself saying, "Hey, don't do that," then there's really no reason not to do that. Not to imply. Okay. Obviously, if you are not a Christian, you're listening to that, you're saying, you might think that I'm saying that an atheist can't be moral because they don't believe in God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is actually something much deeper than that, which is there is no morality without God to the point where now it's like humans have been around a while. And yes, we have a concept of morality, whether we believe in God or not. But the very idea of morality does not exist without God. Hmm. You can be moral just as a Christian can be immoral, but the idea of morality, the concept of right and wrong, it's like, what is right? What does that even mean? Yeah. Is it simply what benefits humanity? Is it what benefits you? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to, we've made that point elsewhere, but it's just, yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, go, go and listen to our dark night episode. If you want to hear yeah. more about that. But, uh, but that's the thing is you remove, it's interesting that this goes together. There was no king in Israel. All the people did what was, what was right in their own eyes. Hmm. There's a semicolon in between uh, those two statements, implying that they are connected, hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know what's interesting is, and maybe you've account- encountered this, Josh, and maybe the listener has as well. Uh, people will often discount things that that uh, things in the Bible that are not said by Jesus. They'll use it as an excuse to believe a certain this or that, and they'll yeah. say, well, Jesus didn't say it. All right, well, I've got a quote here from Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. Josh, would you like to read that? Sure. Uh, it says, he went on, this is speaking about Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, as he's speaking to the people. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Okay. So, the idea of the heart heart wants what it wants. The idea of, you know, just do your own thing. By the way, even in the Christian community, you run across this. This idea, it's like, 
you know, they won't put it, do what's right for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do believe there is such a thing as personal conviction and, and God deals with people a different way and that sort of thing. But underneath personal conviction, underneath everything is the idea of, okay, what are you doing? Are you choosing yourself? If you are, you shouldn't be. And conviction no longer matters. If you are choosing yourself over someone else and certainly over God, then you are not doing the central thing. And I'll get to that specific uh, verse in a moment. Um, and it's that idea of the heart wants what it wants. And we need to do what's right for us. But here's what Jesus says is in us. This is what comes out of us and it defiles us. And it, there's a nice list that, by the way, includes everything we've talked about here. Yeah. You know, and, and the Bible tends to, uh, when it lists sin, uh, it never says one is worse than the other. As far as earthly consequences, obviously, yes. Yeah. Um, there are not a great deal of, there's not a lot of legal consequences for sexual immorality. Um, as, you know, or envy. There's yeah. not a lot of, there's no legal consequences for envy. Or lewdness. Or lewdness. Um, which I'm going to take full advantage of, by Certainly the way. not for arrogance. <laughs> that's Arrogance uh, is encouraged. I would say that's about right. But, um... But yeah, and so all of these things flow out of us. And I, listeners have said in the past, like, oh, you Christians, you just hate people. People are are lovely in God's eyes, but we are also geared towards ourselves. It's, it's that tension that you were talking about yeah. earlier. That's one of the reasons that we respond to that in films, because that's the human condition. It's yeah. this tension between something something like jesus says evil that is inside us and something inherently good that is uh part of god's nature in us yeah and it's just and and as i said as i was talking about with characters it may seem contradictory but truth often is often is contradictory it doesn't yeah. sorry truth often seems contradictory it mm -hmm. isn't because you know nuance subtlety and complexity is is often what truth is composed of. There's a great, uh, while you're reading this next bit, um, okay. I'll try and find, there's a great G.K. Chesterton quote about contradiction that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll see okay. if I can find it. Uh, yeah, so, so what is it? Like, what are the, you know, you mentioned the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, what is the greatest commandment, Josh? That's what I want to know. I've got good news for you. <laughs> I've got, I've got verse right here. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Uh, teacher, they are talking to Jesus here, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, both of them are basically saying, it doesn't say, you know, love yourself in either case. It doesn't say, first, love, your, love the Lord your God. Second, love yourself. No. It is saying, love the Lord your God first, then love your neighbor as yourself. It actually, it knows our natural inclination to be like, well, I do love myself quite a bit. It's like, all right, you know how much you love yourself? Love your neighbor as much as that. And just... You know, obviously, Jackie is not loving his neighbor. Obviously, Teach is not loving his neighbor when they when they are acting violently against them and and effectively dehumanizing them. And they are following they are following themselves to repeat over and over. They are following themselves and what they want, and they are 
defiling themselves because that is what will happen if you are putting yourself above all. Have you found that uh, that quote yet? So yeah, I found it here, um, and this is this is going back a little bit, but uh, to where we were talking about the idea you brought up that um, we can see something that seems like looking at people being uh, uh, both having this evil inside them, but being naturally having an inherent goodness to them as well, Mm -hmm. or worth to them maybe is a better way to put it, but how you can look at that and it seems like a contradiction that doesn't seem to make sense, but that is the reality to it. Um, G.K. Chesterton has a, a, a... if you're familiar with his book Orthodoxy, there's a, a section where he's talking about um, the positives of mysticism because mysticism sh- forces us to believe contradictory things and kind of think in a in a way that's closer to what truth is um, because truth is more contradictory than 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 it would seem. Um, uh, he says the ordinary man has always been sane because the ordinary man has always been a mystic. Uh, he has permitted the twilight, they said. He he has always had one foot in earth and the other in fairyland. And then a little bit further down, he says, um, if he saw two truths that seemed to contradict each other, he would take the two truths and the contradiction along with them. I always like that quote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so uh, thank you for, for reading that because, yeah, there are a lot of people that say the, the contradictions in the Bible or the seeming contradictions means, well, obviously it's not true. It's like, no, it's as somebody that has written and, and you, you, Josh are a writer. It's like, if you want to write something that like appeals to a mass audience, you have something that just makes a lot of sense. Everyone can follow. It's easy. Mm. Um, and it, to me, that's, as I've said many times before, like Jesus is not the Messiah you come up with if you want to trick people. Yeah. And the Bible is not the book you want to write if you want to get people's money. Yeah. Um, you know? So, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, okay. So, to tie all this stuff together, in those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. So, if the greatest commandment is love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, if that is it, but in fact there is no God, then you have to love something else. Um, it says, oh, the, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if that first one is not right, then the second one, which is like it, is also not right. Hmm. So, why choose anybody other than yourself? There's really no reason to. Um, teach from American Buffalo is... He is this. He is, and one could say that you know, due to economic concerns, like he he has no choice but to do these things. But he's clearly intelligent, well, you know, and are an intelligent, articulate person who could probably do any number of things. I'm not saying he's lazy or anything like that, but by choosing, you know, by choosing maybe the easiest thing, you're also choosing yourself because mm-hmm. you're choosing your own comfort and all that. And it's easier to maybe get several thousand dollars in one night of work as opposed to going out and finding a job. Yeah. She goes um, back to the cowardice thing again too, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so teach lives this, this idea, you know, and justifies it by saying it's just business, you know, well, things don't go well. And he is faced with the fact that this thing that he had built 
his like a good, probably his immediate future on. We're going to do this heist. I'm going to get some money. Man, I've really put a lot into it. Um, he sells his nice watch so that he can get a gun that he's going to take in with him just in case. Like that's how much he's invested in this. Um, and then he discovers that things were not as they seemed. And he actually ran the risk of breaking into a house that people were in, which would have gotten, which would have, by the way, it could have gotten him killed. It could have gotten them killed. I mean, he went, he went in with a gun or it could have gotten him arrested. Like it, no matter what, it would not have gone the way he wanted it to go. And so, and he was putting so much into this thing that when he discovers the truth, he just goes on this tirade as he basically destroys the, the junk shop. And it ends with him saying, I go out there. I'm out there every day. There is nothing out there. And it just seems to me that like out there is the world that he is going to use to in some way define himself. He is going to, I don't know. It's a, it sounds strange. It's a place where he can, by virtue of what he does, make himself something. But there's not, you know, it's whether it could be status, you know, it could be that he wants to raise his status Mm -hmm. economically or or financially or whatever. Um, And he goes out there. He looks to the world to tell him who he is and to give him hope, to give him a goal, to give him something. He goes out there every day and there's nothing out there. Mm -hmm. This thing that he cling to business money there's nothing out there and part of the tragedy of that is that even if their plans were all to go off without a hitch if there's still nothing out there yeah then what does it matter yeah and so you know and so then the question is all right well what if there's nothing out there if the world can really offer nothing and if looking to ourselves uh you know, can make us like these characters and killing them softly, ostensibly. Maybe we all have our own version of that. We all have our own version of killing people, but we but we believe that oh, if we let them down easy or kill them softly, <laughs> then maybe it, you know that makes us a little bit better. Mm. Um, and it's like no, the Bible. Like we have Jesus' example. He doesn't kill anybody. In fact, he dies willingly and difficultly. You know. There's no easy, there's no softly here. Like, he volunteers for the worst death you can think of. Maybe not the worst. I can think of worse. But it's pretty bad. Nothing soft about that one. Exactly. You know, there's no, like, and I didn't even, I didn't even really think about that, like, until this moment, that Jackie thinks that he is doing people a favor by killing them in the easiest way possible. And then Jesus shows that he genuinely loves other people and loves humanity by doing the exact opposite. Not that, you know, not that Brad Pitt thinks he's loving anybody, but he feels like he's doing them a favor. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that, more so than anything, can give us something to work towards. It can give us something to believe in. It can be, you know, this can be the the king in Israel. And so we're not 
we're not just doing things that's right in our own eyes, which basically is just grasping at straws, just groping around in the dark, hoping to find whatever we can to define ourselves or whatever. You know, we have a king, and he is a king who is willing to die for us, and that is no small thing, considering how few of us instinctively want to die in some way, shape, or form for others. So... Uh, okay, I can't think of anything else to say. Can you think of anything to add? Uh, no, I think that, that about wraps it up. Okay. All right. Uh, so you can go to morethanonelesson.com and you can check out the uh, blog. Please do go and read uh, Josh's article, whether you've seen the film or not, which frankly you probably have not, but it's still an interesting article. Um, so you can check that out. Um, oh yeah, go and listen to me on the Televerse. Uh, there'll be a link, there's a post on morethanonelesson.com, but there'll also be a link in the show notes. Um, I think that's about it. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. Uh, you can join our Facebook group and a lot of people have, and, uh, uh, we'd like to welcome you to that. Um, in fact, as a function of Josh's article, we've gotten a lot of new people. And so we are very happy to have you and we would love to hear your feedback on the show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and everybody else, uh, thank you as always for listening. Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.